as you're turning back to Ephesians 4, what a great reminder in that song. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. Um, one of the things that you'll take notice of and we'll touch on today is just the, the anger, the rage that's, that's you know, the, the vibe of today, right? It's like everybody's on tilt. Everybody's just like, you know, very tense and uneasy about everything. You know, you, you go to the, you know, get a Starbucks and, you know, they forget your whipped cream and, you know, you're on tilt, you know. You go somewhere and they overcharge you and you freak out, you know, or you're at the stoplight and it's just, it's too long. Um, and, and, you know, we're just, we're, we're so tense. And yet, you know, the, the freedom that Christ gives us um, should give us joy, should give us happiness. Um, earlier today, you know, people are walking in and, you know, the girls are giggling and laughing and, and it's just such a, a, a beautiful and sweet sound, right? Laughter, joy. Um, now think of the opposite of that. You know, just bickering and bitterness and, and harsh words. It's like, you know, that's not very fun. That, that doesn't bring joy to, to your world or your life. Um, and so we, we have this, this blessing of, of knowing that, that Jesus Christ has redeemed us from our sin. And so in that, it's, it's you know, I hate to use a, a sports analogy, but... It's like sports. You know, the, one of the beautiful things in watching a game is not knowing how it's going to turn out. So, you know, I hate watching games where I already know the end score. It's like it ruins the whole passion of watching it, the, the thrill and the excitement and the anxiety even. And so in the course of a game, you know, your, your team's best player can get hurt. And it's like, oh, no, we're going to lose. Everything's terrible. The trial's too big. Or the referees are on the wrong side, or the fans, and your team's down, and everything's going wrong, turnovers, rain, snow, whatever. It's all going bad. It's all going wrong. And, and, and it's that, that high and the low it, it, that throughout that, that actually makes the game fun. And, and then at the end, when you win, there's a sigh of relief and joy and gratitude and high fives and smiles and all that. And it's like that roller coaster of a ride going through the game is, is why people watch. But then we come to our life and we don't like that. So we come to our life and it's like, well, we, we know we win at the end because of the blood of Christ. And, and we know we're, we're going to heaven. And, and so instead of capturing that joy, and writing that out on a day-to-day basis, we're like the guy who, like, I already recorded the game. I already know who won. What's the point? It's like, whatever. <clears throat> right? And you're just going to, like, live life like that. And then what's even worse is, well, you know at the end of the game you win, so why are you so upset about the fumble? Why are you so upset about the snow? Why are you complaining about the penalties? Well, why are you nervous that your team's down by by 14 points or the Mariners won a game last night where they were down by seven runs and came back and won. Well, why worry if you already knew who won the game? And yet we live our Christian life like that a lot. 
We don't want any trials. We don't want any pain or suffering. And look, I, I don't like it either. But in the back of your mind, what should give you confidence is knowing we win. We win. Um, so I can make it through this. I may not like it. I don't understand it. I don't want it. You need it. It's beneficial for you, whether you can get your arms wrapped around that or not. But that's part of God's game plan. As we come back to Ephesians 4, and again, I, I, I love this book. It's so, it's so practical. Um, I want to remind you of this, this town of Ephesus. Uh, the, the, the setting, very, very similar to us. Um, they needed this reminder. They needed this encouragement. So do we. So do we. And be reminded, not, not to be grumpy and anxious, but to be excited and filled with joy. Um, to be reminded that we need to walk a certain way. Um, not the old way, but the new way. Remember, Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the, in, the, in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire basically covering all the Mediterranean. And, and Ephesus was the fourth largest. It was a massive city where people would come and go. And as they travel from the east to the, to the west, that people would come and stop there by land. They would come and stop there by, by boat. It was a, a major mecca of trading and commerce. They had the, the, basically the number one temple, uh, Diana, the, the number one temple, the number one place that people would wanted to go and, and, and worship and see. It was not only a place of worship, but, uh, but also a, you know, a, a destination site. It was the tourist industry there was, was phenomenal. They had inns and restaurants and they even had, you know, silversmiths that would like, you know, make and sell the images of their false gods and pagans. And, and so, you know, the, the tourism was their economic industry as well. Their temple was more than just a temple. It was also a treasury. It was like a bank. And so people would go to the temple and, and use it as a bank to, to borrow money. Um, even it was, they had so much power with money that even Kings would go and borrow money from them. We would see an extension of that through the, the Holy Roman empire and, and the Pope would be a very, very similar situation where financially they become so powerful. And then you think of, well, who is this, uh, Diana? Who is this, this, this goddess that they were worshiping? Uh, well, she was the patron goddess of, of sex. And so temple prostitution was their form of worship. I mean, if you could think of anything so sick and disgusting um, on, on both sides of what that means, that that was their spiritual form of, of worship. Um, it was so prevalent. They had two-story brothels because, you know, one story wasn't enough. One wasn't enough. They had to have multiple ones. And that's the way it was in Ephesus until, until Paul came and planted a, a small church that, uh, again, the size of, of our church would be like a great starting point in which the gospel then would be planted and that they were called to 
in this surrounding, in this world, to, to, to follow Christ. Um, that there would be no excuses. Yeah, we know where you are. We know the, the Rome. We know Ephesus. We know all the people coming and going. We know Diana. We know the false religions, the pagans. You're on a different page now. Um, and so we've looked at you know the list of futility, the things that look if if you if you live this way, then it's just going to lead you down a dark path, a, a path that just leads literally to the to the path of hell. And so we're called to live differently. We're going to look at today at, at seven seven applications of of living for your new self. Um, you, you are called to be born again. You're called to be a new creature in Christ. The old is the old. One of my favorite passages, a great reminder, is forgetting what lies in the past and moving forward to li- what lies ahead. It doesn't matter. It does not matter what happened before. That's the whole point of the cross. That's the beauty of Christianity. The beauty of Christianity isn't lists and rules and laws and regulations. That's not the beauty of it. The beauty is that you were forgiven of all the junk that you did before. Now live for that today. It's closer than I thought. Um, (laughs) And, and, you know, and it's, it's, there are rules. There are. But that's not the beauty of Christianity. That, that's a result of it. That, that's the fruit of it. And so the seven applications we're going to look at uh, for our new self so that we bring light to the dark world. Individually, us, and collectively as a church. So we're no longer to be liars. We're no longer controlled by anger. We're, we're no longer to be thieves. We're no longer to speak with coarse speech. We're we're no longer to grieve the Holy Spirit. We're no longer to be ruled by bitterness. And and we're no longer to be unkind. These are things that are are part of the old way. And now we're, we're part of the new self. So Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. What didn't we learn Christ in this way? Well, back to 17, verse 17. I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles. You know, you're not supposed to live like the old guy. You're not supposed to live in your old belief system. You're not supposed to live as a, as a pagan heathen Gentile in the futility of their mind. Ideas that are leading you nowhere. Ideas that will lead you to hell. Um, what were those ideas? Well, verse 19, you know, people had become callous. They'd give themselves over to sensuality, sexual sensuality, to practices of all kinds of, of impurity. And, and they did this happily, heartily with greediness, with gusto. Verse 20 says, you, you didn't learn to Christianity to, to, to live this way. That, that, that's not... That's not a Christian way. That, that, that's not us. Now, there were things in raising our kids and certain things that, you know, you, 
You say, well, that, that's not the way we do it. That, that's not the Jamie way. We don't do that. Um, so the, the, the path is, is that's not the way we walk. That's not the road we take. We're on a new journey. We're on a different path, the path of Christ. And so the requirement is to, to lay aside these things. To If it was a coat, take it off and throw it away. Burn it. Be dead to that. Be a new creature in Christ. And so now, now, be in, in the likeness of God. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, that's Christ, just as truth is in Jesus, our, our only truth is in Jesus. It's not in psychology. It's not in philosophy. It's not in self-help. Okay, it's not in like the cleverness of, of, of a man's speech. No, it, it, the only truth is in Jesus. And we find that in the scriptures. Verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, Lay it aside, the old self. You got former, lay it aside, and old. Three different ways to say it's in the past, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. All that stuff that you were told, oh, this is what fun is. This is what, you know, YOLO, right? You only live once. Got to try this. This is awesome. Go spend some time at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission and see how fun and awesome, you know, drinking too much and doing drugs and, and not obeying your parents and doing whatever you want to do. See where that leads you. Take a look at our, our own communities and all the divorces and all the, the, the people harming themselves. Why are they so miserable? Because they've been deceived into thinking that the way of the world is the way to find happiness, and it's not. It's corrupt. So lay it aside. You have been renewed by the Holy Spirit, verse 23, and the renewing of your mind. That's what we, we see in, remember in, in Romans, Romans 12, right? What does Romans 12 tell us? It says, do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world. Stop allowing the world to change you. It, it, it's like you're, you're, you're a blob of clay. And you're allowing the world to, to mold you, to conform you. No, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. It's like the transformers. You get to transform out of yourself into something different by the renewing of your mind. You need to think like Christ. You need to do like Christ. You need to be like Christ. Verse 24. And put on then the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created. How? In righteousness and holiness of truth. That's our pursuit. Righteousness and holiness. Oh man, but that's hard. Yeah. The standard is perfection. The standard is perfection. One of my least favorite coaches is this guy from Alabama. He coaches football and he's really great and I don't like him at all. 
and, and you, his arrogance and the way he talks, but everything that comes out of his mouth is like, he just wants perfection. You know, his team's winning by 30 points at halftime. And, you know, they, you know, this young gal goes, oh, hey, everything's going great. And he's, he's like, no, we're terrible. We're not blocked. We missed three blocks. We should have done this. We should have done that. It's like, well, yikes. You know why? Because his standard is perfection. His, his book is dominate. Don't just win. Don't just get by. Dominate. It, it says... A lot about his mindset. His mindset is perfection. We have a different mindset. What can I get away with? How much of the world can I play with? I want to dance with the world. I want to taste the world. Um, no. Put it off. Put it off. Have a new aim, a new goal. And yeah, you know what? That standard is high. It's a high standard. It's not straight A's. It's not 4.0. It's 4.4. Do above and beyond. That's, that's the goal. We're called out to be righteous and holy. Oh, but I can't. I'm a sinner. Yeah, you are a sinner. But that's still the goal. That's still what you're commanded to, to pursue. So, how do we do this? Well, we got seven, seven ways that we can do this. Seven ways to, to pursue the new self. The first is the new self is what? No longer a liar. No longer a liar. Verse 24. Therefore, okay, here we go. How do, can we be like God? Lay aside falsehood. Speak truth. Each one of you with his neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. Why, why are we lying to ourselves, right? You look in the mirror and you're, you, you know, you're going to like try to trick yourself. You know, you lie to yourself. That's kind of the idea here. Why, why are we lying to one another? We're supposed to help and support one another. If I'm weak, I need you to help me, to help me, to, to pick me up off the ground, off the mat. I, I need to be honest about that. When we say... <clears throat> You know, stop being liars, lay aside falsehood. Well, what is falsehood? It's being untruthful. It's being, you know, you're, you're, you're not honest. We've learned to, to do this in so many different ways now. Now we say things like, well, you know, he exaggerates a little bit. Exaggeration's okay, right? Isn't it okay to exaggerate? Well, that's called a lie. Uh, fibbing. It's just a little, it's a little fib, you know, watch your veggie tails. Little fibs turn into big fibs. Okay. Um, fibbing is a lie. Half truth is a whole lie, right? Oh, guy, he's just, he's a storyteller. You know, he's, he's like a used car salesman. Yeah. Liar. Um, now we have this whole new thing, you know, fake news. Like, it's just fake news. It's okay. That's what it is. It's acceptable. How fake is it? How much deception um, is going to be allowed? Well, Proverbs 6.17 says this, God hates a lying tongue. And I want to challenge you with this. When you guys examine your own hearts and Think about the things, you know, we got some younger people here and they're setting out a course path and they're like, okay, here, here are things that I don't want to do. I, I remember thinking this. I remember thinking, you know what? 
Um, okay, I, you know, sex, drugs, you know, uh, th these are things that uh, I can't do that. I'm going to hell, right? Here's my list, my, my, my three things on my list. And as long as I don't do those three things, I guess I'm okay. I could do everything else under the sun, but if I don't do those things, then, then in my brain, in my gorilla math, I'm okay. What I didn't know was, you know, uh, in Proverbs 6, God didn't say he hated those things. You know what he said he hated? A liar. Oh, that's a problem because I lied. I did not speak the truth. It's not just exaggeration or fibbing or storytelling. It's lying. One of the things today with, with our new generation, and if you spend any time with kids, they really struggle with telling the truth. Why? Well, maybe it's because they watch a lot of TV shows and the whole subplot to every single Nickelodeon or Disney Channel's show is some little cutie pie lies her face off and it's cute and funny. So it's okay, right? It's okay to lie to your parents every single day, all the time, to your best friends, to everybody you know. What's the harm? What's the harm? It's, you know, it's Disney. It's, you know, they're pretty people. Who cares? When we're at the school and we're talking to all these kids, it's like everybody lies. All the kids lie constantly. You can't stop lying. It's very, very sad. And then you have to have the presupposition of, well, the two people in front of me, yeah, they're probably both lying to me. By the way, just, you know, we've got older people here and it's always easy to, you know, throw stones at the kids. Uh, it's the same thing in marriage counseling. Uh, two people come and sit before you and both of them want to hurl the stones at each other and eh, they tweak the story just a little bit in their favor. Um, we have grown into this being untruthful, untruthful people. The scriptures here say, stop it, speak truth, be honest, be real. Um, we have a whole new thing now, social media, you know, Instagram and all that. So it's like you're going to craft and create like this image of who you are, are not, aren't, want to be. It's like, who is this person? Um, now, granted, it's hard. I mean, nobody, you know, is going to put a picture over there with a, you know, bleeding elbow because they got in a bike accident, right? It's like, you know, typically you're putting fun, nice things, hobbies on there, but there are people who've gone too far and like actually are just crafting an image. And, and it's just, we, we've learned to be, to have a facade with one another. And, and the point is, look, we, we need to learn how to be open, be as vulnerable to one another. The only way for us to really love one another, to bear one another's burdens, to keep each other accountable, um, is we got to be honest with each other to admonish one another, to correct one another in a good way, in a loving way, in a kind way. We have to be honest with one another. See, the world embraces this, this hiding of truth and reality in all kinds of different ways and forms. And really, we, we should be embracing it. We, we, we should be learning how to do a better job of that. Uh, well, <clears throat> the second application of the new self is to no longer be controlled by anger. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. It's okay to be angry, but don't sin. There's a line, right? 
Um, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? This gives the devil an opportunity. When you let the sun go down and you're angry, you're, you, you might as well try this next time, especially for those of you who are married and you're, you're arguing and you're, you're not happy and you're angry. Just before you go to bed, instead of saying I love you and we'll work, just get up and go and open the door open a little bit and look, look at your, you know, your loved one and go, I'm just opening the door up so the devil can sneak in on us. That's what you're doing. We're going to just open the thing wide open because, you know, little crack, big crack doesn't matter, right? Well, why would you do that? Would you do that? Now, I, I know sometimes things get heated and it's hard. And so maybe that's a way to kind of break the ice. Um, but, it, but, it's, but, but think about that. What's anger? Well, look, we get angry. We, we get inwardly, we get annoyed. We get vexed. We get irritated, right? Um, we even have some cute labels. Oh, he's passive aggressive. He's passive aggressive. He's upset, but he doesn't really want to, to let that out, even though everybody knows. So that's why it's aggressive, but it's passive, but everybody knows. It's cute. No. Open aggression. Uh, well, yeah, the throwing things, the rage, the violence, the, the, the veins popping out of the neck, the forehead, the elbow. I mean, it's no, that's not any good either. So what's the deal? Well, Look, there, there's, there's an admission. You, you, there's going to be anger. There's going to be times where you are vexed. But don't allow that to take the next step. What's the next step? Well, it's the next step of the harsh look, the tone, the, the raising of the voice, the anger, the external rage, right? That, that's where now you've, you've crossed the line. Turn with me to James. <clears throat> James chapter 1. James chapter 1 gives us a, some great little insight here. Great wedding gift you can give to young marrieds is maybe you can crochet or I don't know what it's called where you, you know, have little messages where you sew in there. And my, one of my aunts made these pillows for us. And I remember when I first looked at that, it used to make me so mad. <laughs> It's like, what is this? It's like, there's this little pillow and it's sitting there and it, and it says, you know, be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. That made me angry. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to see that junk. Flip that thing around, you know? And that was when I was fine and when I was upset, it was just this like, what is it? Come on. But I learned in seeing that over and over and over and day after day. And it's like, this is the word of God. Let everyone be quick to hear. All right, listen to my wife. That, that's a good thing. Slow to speak. Shut your mouth. Two ears, one mouth, right? And slow to anger. Don't be so quick to be angry, right? Verse 20, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. L look, <clears throat> whatever it is, whatever, uh, vengeance is the Lord, not yours, right? Righteous judgment is the Lord, not yours. So for the anger of a, of, a, of a man doesn't achieve anything 
especially not the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers <clears throat> and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Do you guys realize a practical application of being a doer of the word of God, which will save your soul, is not being angry? Not allowing yourself to cross the line in your anger? It's something to work on. Don't give the devil that opportunity. Don't do it. Don't play around. Don't play around with that. So it's a wedge created in your life that the devil's more than willing to, 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 to walk through. You know what God likes? God likes forgiveness. God likes redemption. Fight for forgiveness. Be the first one to say, I'm sorry. And a little trick, look, I, I've, I've been there, you know, I've been married 30 years. There's been some long nights. Um, there's a point in time where it's like you don't feel like you're getting anywhere. So here's, here's the trick. If you can't look at that person and say, I love you, we're, we're going to work through this. I love you. Good night. And we'll talk about it tomorrow. If you, if you can't do that, then you're still angry. And you can't go to sleep. You can't let the sun go down. If you can do that, okay, remember the temperature, the boiling point has gone down. It's like, you're, you're still not happy. I'm not saying you can fix everything every night, okay? But, but the, the anger part of it, the sinful anger part of it has resided and, and you can move on. Well, the third new <clears throat> application to the new self is stop being a thief. I thought this was angry or interesting. Um, so let him who steals, steal no longer. Now, remember, this is written 2,000 years ago. You tend to think, I mean, were, were there a bunch of thieves running around back then? Well, sin is sin is sin. There's always been thieves, right? But a little deeper here. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. So the idea here of stealing is, is also the other side of it is, is, is the one who labors, the one who's actually working, this is a good thing. The one who's, who's, who's earning his way through, right? So the opposite of that is stealing. So it's not just the idea of just taking something that, that doesn't belong to you. But it's taking something that you haven't earned, that you haven't worked for. Well, how does, how does that relate? How does that expand what stealing is? We all get grab and go kind of thievery. Um, but like, you know, hey, stealing time at work, you know, you don't actually put in a full day's work, especially nowadays. One of the biggest problems with, you know, businesses that, that have computers and they have all these people working in there is, is people come, sit down, start work, you know, at nine o'clock and they're on YouTube and they're on their Facebook and they're doing social media, you know, and wow, you know, you got to like roll into this nicely and you get your cup of coffee and, you know, for a half an hour you're YouTubing and well, the coffee got ran out and you get up and you go take a five minute break get more coffee. Hey, donuts are there. So you're in the, you know, and it's, you're just stealing time. You're stealing company time. You're not really working or you're literally doing another job. 
while you're working somewhere else. You can, you know, multitask. What about the idea of taking shortcuts with work? I mean, this, this is nothing new. It's just, we'll just take a shortcut. We're, we're going to steal from the client. You know, it used to be the statement, you know, get rich quick scheme was well known. It's like, that's a scheme. That's, that's a lie. That's a fraud. Now it's cool. Right? Oh, man. What, what kind of ways can we get rich quick? You know, again, we, we see the, the YouTuber, some guy on YouTube does some lame video or a TikToker and they monetize that. And they, you know, so now every kid thinks that they're going to be a YouTuber and make millions, get rich quick, right? Easy scheme, not real labor, not real work. The mental frame that you have to be to like sit down and think of these kind of scams and schemes is the idea of stealing. It's like, you know, you're, you're not... You're not really thinking in terms of using your hands for real work. You're thinking in terms of how can I beat the system by not working? See, see how that works? And the word says, look, <clears throat> um, stop being a thief. Stop thinking that way. Work with your hands and earn it. Uh, turn with me and maybe you mark your, your uh, Bibles. You know, I'm not sure if you do. I do. Uh, probably too much, but um, one of the uh, the verses that I just it keeps coming up over and over and over again is is First uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter four, and this came up when we were studying in Revelation, and the whole context of the book of Thessalonians was this church that's in trial, and there's extreme trials of persecution, and at the end of the day, the kind of the two key statements through first and second Thessalonians. Look, the Lord's coming back. Jesus is coming back. No matter what happens here, don't worry. We win. Jesus is coming back. In the meantime, you know, underline, highlight, memorize first Thessalonians 4.11. In the meantime, make this your ambition. Lead a quiet life. Just, just lead, lead a quiet life. Um, Attend to your own business. Boy, that's a really nice way of saying, mind your own business. Keep your beak in your own yard, right? Lead a quiet life. You don't need to be out there. Everybody got to be out there, right? No, just lead a quiet life. Tend your own and work with your hands. And work with your hands. If you do that, then, then you know what? You're not, you're not a thief of the day. Um... I find this very, very applicable to our mindset today. Every, everybody wants a shortcut. Everybody wants the easy way out. Um, ironically, people will overpay to like not do basic work that they could do themselves because they don't want to work. They don't want to do things. It's, it's very fascinating. Well, the fourth application of New Self is, is stop using coarse language coarse speech verse 29 let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear so first of all look when, when you speak your speak should give grace to those who hear 
So what's the definition of coarse speech? If it's not giving grace to others, then you need to reevaluate that. I know we can sit here and argue and debate. Well, is this a bad word? Is that a bad word? Well, they said this, they say this, right? Some people think that's okay. Is it giving grace? No. <laughs> then what are we talking about here? So what is this idea of coarse language? It's by definition, it's unwholesome. It's unwholesome. It's, it's poisonous, venomous, harmful. It's evil. Well, in what way? Well, you know what? Form of unwholesome language, again, is lying language. Arrogant language. Gossiping is unwholesome, poisonous, harmful language. We tend to think of this only in one category. You know, four curse words. Well, I don't say that. I'm good. No, your, your, your language is still unedifying and coarse the way you communicate and speak to others and about others. You lie, you gossip, you're harsh, you're unkind. Unkind words fall into this category. Your words are biting. That falls in this category. Um, Ephesians 5.4, just the next page over. And there must be no filthiness or Silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. Our, our speech shouldn't be, you know, yes, it shouldn't be foul-mouthed, of, of course. It shouldn't be like silly talk. Again, <clears throat> you know, the uh, nowadays with social media and stuff, it's like so much of that stuff is just utter nonsense. Uh, th that's the only way to categorize it. You know, all this... TikTok's thing. It's like, just be as weird and as you can. It's like, well, it's not coarse. It's not evil. It's, it's weird intentionally. It's, it's, it's silly. It's silly. And, and that's addressed here. That's identified here. Stop being so, so silly with your, your speech. Second Timothy 14. Second Timothy 14 says, remind them of these things. And I solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to ruin of the hearers. Again, we, we can do this spiritually. We can do this spiritually with, all right, let's get into like weird Christian theological debates. Stop wrangling about words. It's useless. And we know this. We've been debating some of the same things, you know, five-point Calvinism and Arminianism for for years. Um, stop wrangling about certain words. It's useless. It leads to the ruin of the hearer. Maybe you understand it and you have a full grasp of what's going on, but that other person's not ready. Look, there's some great conversations. There's a lot of big questions that we have. You got to be careful who you're communicating that with. And you can have some awesome conversations, but for some people, for that hearer they're, they're not ready or they can't handle it and so guard your your, your language guard 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 what you say <clears throat> be diligent to present yourself approved to god as a workman who does not need to be ashamed handling accurately the word of truth so part of this unwholesome language is is 
in totality of the way we talk. It's not just like coarse jesting, you know, smack talking, um, the use of, 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 you know, vulgar language. But again, think of it this way. The, the words that you, you speak should be edifying. What's edifying? Teaching, instructing, helping others. Does this help others? Is it encouraging? Is it encouraging? Is it gentle? Is it gentle? Now look, there's times for straight talk, right? There's, there's times for tough love, um, but it should still be encouraging and gentle. So guard your words, guard your words. Remember Proverbs 15:1, a, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up the anger. The things that come out of our mouth matter. They, they matter. Well, the fifth application of the new self is, is no longer grieve the Holy Spirit. And verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the reminder there is remember, you were saved. You're saved by the Holy Spirit. How's that? Well, John 16, 18, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts the world, who convicted you of your sin. You were blind. You were dark. You were hard of heart. It was the Holy Spirit who then convicted you of your sin so that you could see the truth. So, so that he, in Romans 8, 26, he helps us in our weakness. Romans 8, 27, he intercedes for us even when we pray. John 14, 6, he is our advocate. The Holy Spirit in the triune Godhead is, is like that, that personal relationship aspect again the triune godhead is is deep and rich and and fascinating and unfathomable in so many different ways you've got god the father right the son jesus who who died on the cross and paid for our sins and then you have the holy spirit and the role of the holy spirit has kind of that real personal relationship kind of component to it and says look don't grieve don't don't emotionally hurt the relationship that you have with god that, that you have with the holy spirit well all the things that we do all our sin the way we the way we lie the way we get angry the way we steal the way we use our tongue all of that grieves the whole, it's, like, it's like a parent. It's a, it's a painful thing for a parent to see a child doing re rebelliousness or, or nonsense. Or it hurts them deep. It, it's not a law thing. The law is just, the law is just uh, has no emotion. You, you, you went 56 and a 55 guilty. Pay the fine. Let's go. There's no emotion. There's no... There, there's, but, but this idea has the component of, of the, the grieving. It's like the weeping, the, the hurt and the pain that comes with watching, with watching this. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 5.19 says, we, we, we quench the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means we, we put out the flame. We... We put the flame of the fire of the Holy Spirit out. How? Well, by denying Him, by not listening, by not obeying, 
That's how we ultimately grieve the Holy Spirit. And this is how we come to the point of the day of redemption. That's who we're grieving. The one who, who seals us in. We, we, we want to be on guard for that. We want to stop living like the Gentiles, the world. We want to stop living like you did your old ways. You want to walk in the newness of Christ. You're part of a new family now, and it hurts your God who saved you. It hurts Him. It's not just legalism. Well, the sixth application of the new self is no longer to be bitter, which again, I find very interesting in today's day of day and age. Let all bitterness, and, and it's just this this another 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 a mounting on of the emphasis of what's being said let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander put it away get rid of it along with all your mouth so again first of all this idea of arguing or fighting or debating christianity into somebody's life stop it that's not the way to win people to Christ. You, you, don't, you don't wrangle about words. You don't debate with them. You don't argue with them. You, you, you love them into the kingdom. You show them how the Lord has transformed your life. Um, you, don't, you don't do it by being more angry than they are, right? By being able to out-debate them, out, you know, go out in the street and you know, start yelling at people. Um, that, that, that's, that's not what we're called to do. We see kind of this, this nuance of, of this bitter attitude. It, it, what's bitter? Bitter as that. It's a, it's a taste, right? It's like this taste in your mouth, the acidity of your mouth. And so the, that person is always like, eh, sour-faced. You need Jesus in your life. <laughs> like me. He's been so good to me. I love him. It's like, nobody wants that. Your life is like that face and worse. Um, you're, 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 you reek of this unhappy attitude. Why would I want to be like you? It makes no sense. You're angry. You're bitter. This clamor, this idea of clamor is this shouting out with a cry and an uproar. A slander, these false statements, abusive language. Um, as, as you look at this and you break this down, they're bitter. I'm, I'm, I, I picture, well, who's like this? What group of people are bitter and angry and crying out and screaming and slanderous and angry and full of wrath? It's like, oh, yeah, I see those people on the street and on the news all the time now, don't I? Um, they're like babies out of control. They, they, nobody ever told them no. You can't cry and scream. No, you can't touch. No, you can't do this. Nobody ever said no. And so guess what? They grow up and they become big babies. Just, just YouTube and go on there and you'll see somebody. And if they don't like what's going on, they just start screaming and yelling. Like in the middle of stores. Screaming and crying like big giant babies. Total loss of, of control. But why? It's because inside they're, they're, they're bitter. They're, they're very bitter. 
our emotional state should should like like describe how what what our temperature is. What's our temperature? I had a horrible, sinful life without God, and He transformed my life and has redeemed me, and I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. I'm pumped. I don't care what happens. Right? I'm pumped. I have a newness of life. I win, I win, I win. My team wins, my team wins. It's like if I had that game, and I'm watching on videotape, and every now and then on the bottom of the ticker, don't forget, even though we just fumbled, you win. So at any given point of time and day, no matter where it is, at that point, it's like, I have the joy of the Lord. It is my strength. It is my power. It is a, a living hope. So that's what drives me. Not this attitude of bitterness. Put it away. Get rid of it. There will be things that will come in that will be bad tasting. Promise you. That's why you're encouraged to let it go. Get rid of it. Instead, verse 32, the seventh application of the new self, stop being unkind. Stop being unkind. Be kind. You've been forgiven by grace. You've been released. Um, have that mindset. It's, it's in Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is this amazing passage that begins with Jesus leaves the 99 sheep to go find the one lost one. And then it goes in and says, well, what happens when, when somebody sins? Well, you, you go talk to them one-on-one -on -one in private. Why? Well, so because nobody else's business. And then if that doesn't work because you're trying to win the brother, then bring somebody else to try to win them. If that doesn't work, then you bring in the church to try to win them. And if that doesn't work, well, then we, we have to admit, well, that this person really isn't a Christian. So we're going to treat them like a non-believer. How do we treat non-believers? Well, we try to witness them and win them over. Now, they're not part of the membership, but we, we, we still love on them, right? And then how many times do we, we forgive in Matthew 18? Well, you know what? Try seven times 70. So either forgive them 490 times or, which is probably more the application, just keep on forgiving as much as you possibly can. And then it ends with this amazing illustration of a servant who essentially owes, you know, a, a, a three years wage that he could never pay. He owns the, 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 the king in the area and the guy forgives him of his debt. And what does he do? He turns around the next day, finds us another servant who owes him five bucks and he's throttling him, choking him out for his five bucks, even though he just got forgiven. Right? And so the king throws him in debtor's prison along with his family until he pays his own debt. And so the Lord will do with you when you don't forgive. It's, again, it's the duality of the scriptures. It's this beautiful, amazing picture of grace and mercy. And you better fear God. Because you know what? If you don't live with that same grace and mercy which was bestowed upon you, then you know what? You can pay your own way. You can pay your own sin debt, which you can't pay. And that's what's being said there. And so, stop being unkind. You have nothing to be unkind about. You, you should reflect Christ. And Galatians 6.1, I love what Galatians 6.1 says, even when, you, you, when somebody is in sin, 
What do you do? In kindness, you restore them. Not, hey, you're in sin. Not in a harsh, mean rebuke. Not from the standpoint of being arrogant and judgmental and rude. But in kindness and gentleness, bring them back. Bring them back. That, that's, that's the idea of being kind. Remember, you used to get angry. You used to lose control. Now, be kind, tender-hearted. I love when the Lord just kind of throws in those things because on one side of our brain, or at least my brain, it's like, all right, be kind. Uh, I could be kind. Kind can, kind can be somewhat robotical, right? And maybe have no emotional feeling. And so the next one is like, no. Kindness includes emotion and it includes tender hearted gentle a tender it's a you know it's 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 the idea of in of of holding just so so very lightly that you don't crush what's in your hand holding it hard enough to to where you know the little birdie won't escape but not so hard that you're just going to squeeze it to death so be kind, be tender-hearted. How? Forgiving each other. We, we have to learn how to humble ourselves to forgive the person sitting next to us, to forgive the person sitting on the other side of the room from us, to forgive the person outside the door, to forgive the people on TV. Right? Because we're supposed to be cloaked in forgiveness. I don't want to be cloaked in forgiveness. All right, well then pay your own debt, like Matthew 18 says. I don't want to be cloaked in forgiveness. This is too hard. Well, you know what? Let me throw this out to you. Try this. Do you want to be like Jesus? You, you want to follow God? Just as God, verse 3, 2, in Christ has also forgiven you. Why should I forgive? Do you know what they did to me? You don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. You don't know the ramifications of what they did and said to me. You don't know what you're asking. Yeah, God does know. He does know. And you know what he says? Forgive. Forgive. I love how the summation of the applications here of how we need to develop a growing commitment to Christ, how we walk in a manner worthy of the calling, how we live in our new self as new creatures, how we're born again. I, I love how it comes down to not just living a list of rules and regulations obediently, but it comes down to this great reminder, Christ forgave you. That just blows my mind. How in the world, how in the world could Christ forgive me? Makes no sense. Makes no sense, especially when the forgiveness came before I even looked at him. And nothing to do with what I did. I can't forgive them because, because what? It has nothing to do with them. You forgive them because Christ forgave you. I can't forgive them. Has nothing to do with what they do 
past, present, or future. You forgive them because that is the team that we're on. That's the new team. That's the name of the game. Not always easy. It's not. But that's our call. That is what living obediently with the character and the characteristics of God looks like. Let's pray.